on May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount+. Plus. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Hey, what's up? Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Roll Pod, an Alabama sports podcast from Bama 247. I am Cody Goodwin, staff writer here at Bama 247 and your host of Roll Pod. I'm glad you're here. On today's show, we're going to hit on the college football playoff again. Second rankings came out earlier this week, as well as Alabama's upcoming game against Kentucky, which will be in the early window on Saturday in Lexington. And joining me today to discuss all of that, our usual midweek guest, it's fellow staff writer Mike Rodak. Mike, how's it going, man? Good. Getting ready to travel north in November. Cold north breeze will feel in Lexington. It's not going to be super warm up there. It'll be upper 40s before the game, 50 around kickoff. So like, you know, sweatshirt, a light jacket, something like that? I know both of us, of course, are seasoned veterans of that sort of weather. Um, You know, the the cold breeze in Iowa, you know, the Midwest just hits different. The cold in Iowa is so much different from even the normal Midwest. Like, I feel like the Northeast, you guys tend to get a lot of precipitation. Like, there's just, I feel like you get snow every year. In Iowa, it's never a guarantee. Like, sometimes it's too cold to snow. Minnesota, too, is probably even worse. Just people say that it hits different up there. Buffalo, yeah. Buffalo, you get the, the lake effect snow. And that's really the bigger problem than the cold for the most part. But I mean, it's. I, I did the research on it. It's the furthest north they've gone. Alabama's gone after Halloween to an outdoor stadium since 1987. Um, wow! They played Notre Dame in November um, because usually it's, you know, LSU and Auburn are always going to be on the schedule in November. Those aren't. You're going south in both of those cases, and occasionally there's you know another conference game you play, but um, they've never you know, as far as the last 30 years have gone to Kentucky uh, this late in the year. Um, and uh, even, you know, bowl games, obviously, you go sell. So the caveat that it's an outdoor stadium was because two years ago, Alabama went to Indianapolis for the national mm. championship game, which was a dome. But, man, it was cold that week. Uh, <laughs> Alabama Georgia fans, it was, I think, like seven degrees the night before the game, I remember, uh, walking around downtown Indianapolis. So, uh, luckily, they didn't have to play outside, but Nick Saban had his bomber jacket when he got off the plane that became an internet sensation. Uh, so maybe he'll have something similar you know, for this trip. I don't know. First trip to Lexington since 2013. 
Um, I was still in college. I think you were um, on the NFL beat at that point in time. So this will be definitely a first time in a long time. I mean, even the matchup itself, this is their first meeting since 2020. So it's been a few years. This is just not an SEC matchup that happens very often. I think this is what this is just going to be like their 42nd all-time meeting and just their eighth meeting since 2000. So it's not a matchup we see very often. No, it's um, it's kind of a symptom of what the schedule the, the schedule that got created once AM and uh, Missouri joined the conference in 2012. I mean, and we talked about this two years ago when Alabama went to Florida, and that was the first time they had gone to Florida in, I think, 12 years. Um, and so it's just when you had 14 teams and you were still kind of playing this format, um, you know, with basically only one crossover game every year, that's not your rival, in Alabama's case, Tennessee, then it takes forever to get to some of these schools. And um, the only reason Alabama and Kentucky played in 2020 was because that was one of the games that was added when the SEC went from eight games to 10 games because they had to play all SEC games during COVID. And they gave them um, Kentucky and, and I think it was Mizzou uh, were the two additions for Alabama. So that was the only reason Kentucky came. And, you know, that was a great Alabama team that year, obviously. And they won <laughs> 63 to three, but it was like, there are still things that were, like you can complain about with a 63 to three win. I think Mac Jones threw an interception. Um, yeah. Nick Saban wasn't happy about, and you know, Bryce Young got in late in the game and threw a touchdown. It was probably his best play as a, as a freshman. Um, so, I mean, that was the last time they played, but I think, yeah, that 2013 game, I didn't cover, but I was looking at the stats, man, it was 668 yards of offense for that 2013 Alabama team, 359 yards from, uh, AJ McCarron, those were 2020 numbers they were putting up in 2013. So kind of a an early preview, I guess. Perhaps. Um, I know at the beginning of the year I said that this game was kind of trap gamey-ish, or at least it kind of had the potential to be. And we'll touch on that um later in the show. Just kind of a little bit more in-depth look at the matchup. I know you've got some you, you were asking the players this week about just the idea of staying focused after you know, the bye week, well, the big win against Tennessee, then the bye week, then, you know, the big, you know, energy filled Alabama LSU game. And now they've got to go on the road to Lexington. So we'll, we'll hit on that here later in the show. I wanted to begin with uh, college football playoff rankings. Second iteration came out earlier this week. There were literally no changes, at least to the top eight, uh, Ohio state still number one, Georgia still number two, Michigan three, Florida state four. Those were the big ones. Then you had Washington five, Oregon 6, Texas 7, Alabama 8. Did have a little bit of shuffling after that. Ole Miss at 9, then Penn State snuck in at 10. Um, Just given the fact that nobody lost, I don't think any of us are super surprised that there were no huge wholesale changes to the poll one to the next. Um, But it did seem like, and maybe this is a credit to Greg McElroy just being on the broadcast on Tuesday as the poll was released. It does seem like the discourse has changed maybe a little bit just in regards to Alabama being at eight or maybe even more so Oregon being at six ahead of Texas and Alabama. What were some of your thoughts or reaction to some of the discourse that came out with the second poll? Yeah, I mean, I think in general, the discourse with Alabama has swung considerably, you know, in the past three, four weeks, basically. Um you know, I think you can make the argument that it was an overreaction maybe in mid-September, South Florida game, you know, Texas game. Um, and then, honestly, I think you can make a case that there's 
too much of an overcorrection now where you start – I think I saw somebody even tweet the other day that they think the national championship will come down to Georgia or Alabama. I'm not convinced of that yet. There's still other good teams. And Alabama – you know, I think a lot of the reaction negative from Alabama fans about this rankings centered around what happened in the LSU game. <clears throat> and the LSU game was a big win for Alabama. I mean, top 20 team that they were playing. Um, you know, you win by 14, like – it's big, but at the same time, like, I don't know if it's big enough to, like, completely shift the rankings. You know, if it was a top 10 team on the road and Alabama won by 14 or 20 or something like that, I think that's a different discussion. Like, it was a very good win. I don't think it was, like, an elite ranking shuffling win by Alabama, and there's other good wins that teams had or teams have had lately. Um, so... I'm not surprised that they're at eight. And I know there's a lot of talk about, you know, I, I don't know if there's too many Alabama fans right now that are saying Alabama should be ranked ahead of Texas. I, I, I do hear some Alabama, Alabama fans saying they're the better team now, even though Texas won in September. But Alabama these days is the better team. Um, maybe you can make that argument. I don't, I don't know if the committee is going to change that yet. I think it's more about Alabama and Texas versus Oregon. Um, and I think the committee values a lot that Oregon went on the road to a top 15 team in Utah at the time and won by um, 29 points. Um, but they had a close loss on the road, three points to a top five team in Washington. Um, you know, they, you know, Colorado's not good anymore, but they destroyed Colorado. Like, there's enough there, I think, for Oregon to have a conversation in there. Um, do I think that they're six or they're justified at six over Texas and Alabama? Probably not, but as we'll talk about, I don't know if it matters a ton for Alabama. I think it's, like you said, it's going to be more the Washington discussion for Alabama and more the Texas discussion is probably where it's going to come down to because if Oregon – wins out and they're a one loss conference champion versus Alabama. I think Alabama wins that argument, but if Alabama is a one loss conference champion versus Texas, I'm not as convinced. And if Alabama is a one loss conference champion versus an undefeated Washington, then I'm really not convinced that they would get in over them. So I don't know if Oregon is Alabama's problem. Yeah, no, I, I tend to agree with that. And I don't even know that Texas is as much of the problem. I think it's just, you, you've got an undefeated Washington sitting there at five who you know, maybe it's envy, maybe it's whatever, but like Washington, even at five right now controls their own destiny because you know, Ohio state and Michigan are going to sort themselves out. So assuming Washington takes care of business and runs the table, they will sneak into the top four. I think assuming all else holds, we probably shouldn't assume that because we know that things are going to get weird. And, you know, in the case of Alabama, like if what's, what's the path you, you've got to obviously win out which includes a win over Georgia, which I would argue is the best win of any of, you know, the potential tiebreaker that they, that might come with one loss conference champs, Ohio state, Michigan's going to sort itself out. So there's a potential undefeated big 10 champ, although we'll see uh, Michigan's got to go to Penn state this weekend. Um, you know, Florida's got Florida state's got Miami this weekend. So we'll see if they can hold, I think Florida state's only path into the playoff, especially since they're pretty consistently at number four. Um, you got to run the table. Um, same thing with Georgia, Washington, and Oregon, at least right now, we're on a potential path to hit again. Um, 
I, my thought was just like, you know, if the moment Washington loses, that opens the door. Um, because again, assuming all else holds, you'll have an undefeated Big Ten champ. You will have an undefeated Florida State winning the ACC. Part of Alabama's formula is knocking off Georgia. Um, and then if we assume that Texas runs the table, 12 and 1 Big 12 champ, and a Washington loss would either mean Oregon's 12 and 1 Pac 12 champ, or if Washington loses before then, they could potentially beat Oregon again, and they're a 12 and 1 Pac 12 champ. So, that would pit Alabama against, you know, Texas at 12 and one conference champ against either Washington or Oregon 12 and one conference champ. I would argue that it probably should be Texas and Alabama at that point that you get in. Um, so to me, like Alabama's path, like the moment Washington loses, whether it's in any of the next three weeks or conference championship weekend, presumably against Oregon, like that is, that's when the path opens up. And until then, there's just going to be this weird uncertainty because Alabama does not really control their own destiny. Now, we'll see what the committee thinks, you know, when or if Washington does go down. Like, even then, I don't know that Alabama fully has a firm grip on controlling their own destiny. But I think the door really gets kicked open the moment Washington loses. And that's, you know, we'll see when and if that happens. They've got a pretty you know, beefed up schedule here down the stretch of November. And then obviously they've got a PAC 12 title game, but that's, that's at least my view of things. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's either Texas or Washington. You know, I think the moment Texas loses, that opens the door for Alabama as well. Cause that would knock out the big 12. Um, you know, Washington losing. I agree. Like that would more than likely knock out the big 12. If Texas stays alive uh, or would knock out the PAC 12, if Texas stays alive. Um, you know, you're going to have a bunch of one-loss teams. Um, the interesting part of it to me is that are we underrating the impact of a one-loss Ohio State or Michigan, the loser of that game? Um, because remember last year, Ohio State lost to Michigan, didn't make the conference championship, and still made the playoff. Alabama's done that as well. Uh, 2017, you know, when they lost to Auburn, didn't make the conference championship, made the playoff. Is and are we just not considering it? Because I haven't really heard it anywhere that our Ohio State or Michigan are they good enough teams? Are they viewed good enough that the loser of that game, if it's a really close game, could still get into the playoff over a conference champion, a one loss conference champion? I feel like so much more has to happen because, like, why did they so why did they get two teams in last year? Because what ACC champ had two losses. Um, you know, Georgia was an undefeated SEC champ. Pac-12 had played themselves out. You know, like it, it worked in such a way that Ohio State was able to sneak in as the four because they probably just had the best remaining resume, right? So, yeah, so I, they got in. Um, yeah, Clemson had two losses. The best Pac-12 team was Utah with three losses. Um and so then, yeah, you, you're basically knocking out two conferences right there. TCU gets in as a non-Big 12 champion, uh, keeping that in mind as well. Um, and then you had Michigan and Georgia, which won their conferences. So things can get a little weird. Um, They're just not weird yet. I think that's maybe right. why we haven't even thought of that. Right, because we're still kind of on track right now to have three undefeated conference champions, which, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, is pretty rare. Yeah. To have you know that many stay alive, and it's really the first time in a while the Pac-12 has been alive this late in the season. Um, you know they haven't made the playoff at all in the last seven years, so to have them 
basically two teams still alive right now is unusual. Um, and that kind of just changes things. You know, I agree. Like Washington's schedule is conducive to them losing a game, whether it's Utah this week, at Oregon State next week, you know, maybe Washington State in the Apple Cup, and then Oregon potentially again in the, you know, the uh, conference championship game. So, um, it's something we've talked about for a few weeks. I think it's becoming more mainstream. Um, it was obviously discussed pretty early in, in the show on Tuesday night with Herb Street and McElroy and those guys. And, um, you know, it's, I, I, I think Texas would get in as long as those teams are viewed equally enough where they're both one loss conference champions. I think the head to head is going to matter a lot there. Um, the strength of schedule for Texas is still right there. Um, 10 versus eight for Alabama. So, you know, the metrics aren't terribly different between those two teams. Uh, strength of record, Alabama's four, Texas is five. So yeah, I, the resumes are close enough where I think the head to head is going to mean a lot. Yeah. And I think that's, I guess that's why I keep coming back to, you know, I don't know that Texas is as big of a roadblock. I feel like it's the, once Washington loses, you know, then you would be looking at potentially, 12 and one Alabama, 12 and one Oregon, 12 and one Washington. Like that's the comparison where Alabama would prevail. And so you, you need Washington to lose. You need mm -hmm. Alabama to take their business, but you need Washington to lose because. Yeah. They would still love a Texas loss. <laughs> I don't think people would be. A Texas uh, loss would probably eliminate the Big 12. So yeah, right. I think a lot of people would like a Texas loss. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Either way, I think for Alabama, they need one or the other. Um, and look, I think the odds are certainly in the favor of that happening. Um, but as we've said, you just can't completely discount the possibility that, you know, Alabama might, um, not have it. And look, I mean, Georgia, I still think Georgia is going to beat Ole Miss this weekend, but if Georgia does happen to take another loss here to Ole Miss or Tennessee, um, that's going to hurt Alabama's case as well, because that's going to weaken Georgia. And ultimately I know people say like, you know, how can you leave well, out an Alabama team that just beat a, Georgia team that's been undefeated for the last two years. But and I, I, that, is, that might be conditional, but like if Ole Miss beats Georgia, Alabama's mm -hmm. already beaten Ole Miss. Like, wouldn't that kind of cancel out? Well, I'm saying it would, it would weaken Alabama's win over Georgia because it makes yeah. Georgia look less formidable. Um, but either way, if Alabama beats Georgia, then Georgia's best finish in the final rankings is going to be like six, maybe seven. Um, and then Texas, and this is always a problem for Alabama, is like the more Alabama wins, if they beat Georgia, Alabama's a top five team. Are they a top four team? I don't know. And then that makes Texas look better because then they went on the road and beat a top five team in the final rankings by 10 points. Whereas Alabama's best win would be against a top six or seven team in Georgia on a neutral field. So you have to look at the final rankings. And that's kind of the hard part because Alabama's hurting itself in terms of its Texas loss by winning more, whereas it's also hurting itself by beating Georgia, which pushes Georgia down. So that's just how it works. And it's all, all these strength of records and strength of schedule are all based on the final rankings. Like where are the teams ending? Not where they were when you played them. Um, so that's, that's just a flaw of the system, I guess, or a feature of the system, depending on how you look at it. Yeah. It'll, uh, First and second rankings, like, obviously we got suckered into it because here we are talking about it 15 minutes into a show. Um, I don't mind like, that. People complain about the rankings. These are great. This is a fun time of year for me. 
No, and, it, and it's fun to kind of frame the final month of the season. Like, you know, here are the big games. Here's what's important. Mm -hmm. Here's what needs to happen. Like, it, it kind of gives us a roadmap to, you know, what could potentially happen. And, like, if things, even if the dominoes all fall Alabama's way here this week, for example, like if Washington loses, if Oregon loses, if Florida State loses, like if there's, you know, Penn State could beat Michigan. Like, there's a lot of things that could fall in Alabama's favor this weekend. And it just reframes it for next week. Like, it's not like, a, it's not like, oh, heck yeah, Alabama's in. It's like, no, like this, like there's a lot of things that still need to happen. Um, cheap among them is that Alabama needs to run the table. So it's, you know, it, I, I like it. I think it's really fun, um, you know, but like there is some truth to the fact that, you know, Nick Saban has said, and we'll probably say again, like the last ranking is the one that matters, um, you know, but it's, it's fun. Like it's, it's fun to discuss it and just kind of look at the possibilities and it just to, yeah, to kind of frame week by week what the rest of the season could look like and what it all means. All right. And I think it's – I go back to the point before. Like, I think Alabama's done a lot of good things lately, but I don't know if they're, like, still viewed or viewed yet by the committee as this juggernaut. Like, they're still a team that struggled in first half against Tennessee. They struggled in second half against Arkansas. You know, they won on the road at A&M, but A&M looks worse and worse. Um, you know, their biggest win right now is the Ole Miss game because Ole Miss has played really well since then. And that's still a top 10 offense and they shut that down. Um, but it's not, and I think I, I forgot who it was on the radio I was listening to the other day, but like the margin of victory does factor into a lot of these, um, you know, metrics and Alabama's margin of victory is not very good. Um, they're squeaking by in some of these games and that just, it hurts them a little bit. Like it's still not, I know fans are happy. It's they're playing better. We saw a lot more out of this offense against LSU, but the overall product is still, it's not like, you know, the committee is going to rubber stamp them and say, this is a playoff team. Like I think everybody, everybody can still watch this Alabama team this year and, and still see like, there's still, there's some flaws on you know both sides of the ball, especially on offense. Yeah. And I guess at least from an eye test standpoint, Alabama could do a lot of work for itself over this final month of the season by just, taking care of business in a very dominant way, um, which leads to the the week 11 schedule when it comes to the college football playoff poll. Obviously, Alabama plays Kentucky, but some other games on tap that will impact the poll. Michigan goes to Penn State. Uh, Miami, the U, plays Florida State. Washington plays Utah. Uh, Georgia Ole Miss. USC plays Oregon. Texas goes to TCU. Ohio State plays Michigan State. Um, obviously, we'll be paying attention to Alabama, Kentucky, and Georgia Ole Miss. But of maybe some of those other games, which ones do you think are most intriguing or which ones do you think you'll be following along with on Saturday? Well, probably none of them because we'll be working. Um, <laughs> as we talked about last week, you know, sometimes it's tough unless. Uh, Humor me a little bit, Mike. Come on. Yeah. It, I, I mean, the night game, I think, is the natural one for us to watch, which is Georgia Ole Miss. And, you know, I, I like what Lane has done overall. Um, in Oxford, like I think, you know, Ole Miss has certainly gotten better when I first got here and the Matt Luke Rebels were not very good. Um, I don't think they're going to Athens and winning. Um, yeah. they, I think they're going to Athens and getting exposed and maybe more exposed than even Missouri did. Because um, I don't think Missouri got very exposed. I think that was a pretty competitive game. Um, so and that's one of the tough things. I guess it goes both ways in this case, but like if Ole Miss loses big to Georgia and I fall in the rankings a lot next week, then um, 
that hurts Alabama. But then, you know, you're also strengthening Georgia for that potential victory if Alabama can pull that off. So um, Florida LSU is whatever at this time of year. I mean, Texas at TCU, I mean, that would be a big upset for TCU. That would help Alabama. USC at Oregon would help Alabama, I guess, if Oregon lost. But USC is a little bit of a mess right now. Um, personally, I think the biggest game for me is Rutgers, Iowa. I think I'm going to be <laughs> over under is 28 and a half. Woo. Oh man, that's gross. Um, we're not going to be able to watch it, but like the Washington Utah game, like it's, it's a two thirty kick. We'll be working, but like that is, you know, I'll have one eye on the score of that game just to kind of see how it unfolds. Oh, yeah. Cause I, that's you know, right. that's, Utah, Utah is just good enough. Like they scrap pretty hard. Um, you know, I don't know if they'll beat Washington in Seattle, but like that's it could be interesting for a couple quarters. I think the same way about Ole Miss, Georgia. Like I don't know that Ole Miss can win that game. Just one Lane Kiffin's teams historically in big games like this tend to not step up to the moment, at least when it matters. And two, like, you know, Ole Miss's offense is good. I think they'll kind of they're frisky enough that they'll play around for a half and then we'll we'll kind of see what happens after that. But Georgia looks, you know, I, Georgia could probably get Bowers back, Brock Bowers back this weekend. So that that's a that's that's a different element that Ole Miss has to deal with. Um, but that's I mean, that's a fun one, too. But yeah, I, but the Pac-12 games are mostly what I'm interested in. We won't be able to watch Michigan Penn State because that's also an 11 a.m. kick. But that's, you know, Michigan on the road, li- literally the first big game they're going to play all season like. You know, I know we watched Penn State earlier this year against Ohio State. Not particularly impressed with them, but like, can they steal one at home and throw a wrench into the Big Ten? I don't know. Like, that's there's there's a few interesting games here. Also, I wouldn't rule out Miami, Florida State. I just, yeah, you know, Florida State tends to turn it on for a quarter, and that's usually all they need in the ACC. But Miami is built in such a way that they could probably give them some issues throughout the course of the game. So we'll see if one good quarter is good enough in that one. Um, I don't know. You make a case for a lot of these games that are kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty good weekend. That's it, the best we've had in a while. Um, yeah, Miami, Florida State. I mean, Tennessee, Missouri is probably – they're playing for a spot in a Citrus Bowl, I think, is kind of where that one's at. Um, I mean, maybe they can sneak into a New Year's Six game, but Tennessee's probably going to lose to Georgia. Is it next week? And, you know, that will give them three losses. Like, I don't know if they're making a New Year's Six Bowl in that case. But um, the best game – it's got to be Georgia, Ole Miss to me, because I think, yeah, it's the best game in terms of records and rankings. I'll go with that. That's more or less college football playoff talk. We'll kind of see what the third poll brings after all the results from this weekend. But, you know, nothing changed, but, you know, still interesting, obviously, to dissect it. Wanted to get your thoughts on a little bit of college football slash NFL news. Um, the NFL, I guess, sent a memo to teams that they're allowing. I didn't realize that the NFL oversaw this, but, uh, you know, underclassmen that are declaring for the NFL draft are now eligible to play in college all-star games, such as the senior bowl, the East West shrine bowl, the HBCU legacy bowl. Previously, they were not allowed. It was a senior only thing, but now those that are leaving, um, which they, I, we were talking off air, um, underclassmen that are declaring for the NFL draft have to do so a week after the national championship game. And it's not like the college basketball process where you can put your name in and then ultimately pull it out before a certain deadline just to get feedback. So you can go back to college for a year or two. Um, 
when it comes to the NFL draft, like you have to, if you're in, you're in. Um, I think this is really cool. I think it's a cool opportunity for underclassmen to get to kind of play in this all-star game and get in front of more talent evaluators before the NFL draft. Um, I'm curious, one, your thoughts on this move, just as somebody who's had, you know, a foot in both worlds, college football and NFL, but then also what underclassmen or who do we think from Alabama could maybe benefit from opportunities like this? Yeah. So I guess, you know, it's obviously a reaction to there being a lot more underclassmen in general, the last five to 10 years that, you know, I've taken advantage of the rule and, and gone out early and, um, you know, there's probably an element from NFL scouts where they, you know, they want to see these guys. And, you know, the senior bowl is always the first opportunity to really talk to them, um, you know, sit down and do the interviews because that's the first step in the process. Then there's the combine, then there's, you know, pro days and visits. Um, but, you know, the senior bowl, I think, is, is a good opportunity. All the scouts are there. Um, and so you're, you're giving all these juniors an opportunity to play in that game if they want, or at least just go there and practice and do interviews or whatever, get medicals. And there's really no reason to hold them out Um, on the flip side. And I would have to look to see if there's a new limit in terms of the players they're inviting. But obviously if you invite more underclassmen, then there's less seniors to be invited. The other part of that is, um, you know, it used to be there's three bowls or three all-star games, the senior bowl, the shrine bowl and the NFL PA bowl. Well, about, two or three months ago, they got rid of the NFL PA bowl. Um, so that's no longer a thing. It's now you have the senior bowl, which is open to everybody and you have um, the shrine bowl and that's really it. And, you know, HBCUs, you obviously have their own bowl essentially uh, to get those guys some exposure. So um, it's going to be less opportunities, I would say for, some of the lesser rated seniors, if you know, a guy like Jalen Moody last year, who started for Alabama at inside linebacker, decent player. You you knew that he wasn't going to be a day one or day two pick, you know, at best a day three pick. Um, I think he went to the senior bowl, if I remember, probably in this case, wouldn't go to a game like that. Cause I think he would get pushed out by, for instance, this year, like Deontay Lawson might go into the draft as a redshirt sophomore. It's entirely possible that would push out a guy like Jalen Moody from the senior bowl. So it hurts guys like that. You know, the shrine bowl is still an opportunity, you know, they're still potentially going to get invited to the combine. So I don't know if it's a huge change. Obviously Alabama tends to have a lot of juniors, you know, they had two big ones last year in, in Bryce and in Will and uh, Jameer Gibbs and then Brian Branch, Eli Ricks as a underclassman as well um, declared. So and there's going to be a decent amount this year too. Um, that's, that's coming up soon here. Um, you know, we know Dallas Turner and Kool-Aid and JC Latham are all going to be gone as juniors. Like that's obvious. They're all first round picks. And then the two big names to watch underclassmen wise are going to be Terry Arnold and Deontay Lawson because their draft stock is, is on the way up, you know, as this Alabama defense gets better and better. Um, you know, they were both top five in their positions, you know, ESPN's rankings last week, you know, they came out with. Mel Kuyper and Matt Miller and Jordan Reed. And um, that's, I put some pretty high up in the draft. Um, so it's a question of if you are Arnold or Lawson, you're maybe a second or third round pick right now. Do you come back and, and try to play yourself into the first round? That's happened before. It's also happened where a guy says, I'm a second or third round pick. I'm going out in the draft. Um, there's, there's been a, a decent amount of Alabama players that have done that. So 
you know, NIL probably helps a little bit, but I don't know if that's entirely the driving force behind all that. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see. And, you know, it's, as we were talking about before the show, it's, there's no option like the NBA to go and test the waters and play in these all-star games and go to the combine and come back. You can't do that. You have until January 15th, seven days after the national championship, to make your decision and it's final either way. And if you do enter, then you're able to play in, you know, the senior bowl and, and do all that stuff. So, um, I mean, we're getting into roster season and that's, it's already started. I mean, I was listening to some of the coaches yesterday in the SEC teleconference, Jimbo Fisher and Eli Drinkworth are both talking about it. Like they're already spending parts of their days right now dealing with the transfer portal opening in uh, three and a half weeks here, December 4th. And Eli was even saying that, you know, he's talking to agents for players about NIL deals, um, which is the the new reality. And I think Jimbo, as he's done before, kind of termed it as open free agency starting a few weeks. So it's here. Uh, you know, Alabama, even though Alabama is alive in the playoff and those teams aren't, it's still going to be a reality for Alabama because those are the teams that are going to come for Alabama's players um, and, and try to get them to fill their own needs. Yeah. No, I think that's uh... – the, the combination of, you know, players potentially leaving early for the NFL draft and, you know, obviously the, the transfer portal stuff. It's going to be interesting to kind of see what the turnover looks like. Um, you know, you'd think a place like Alabama would just be like, yeah, like we're good. Next man up moving forward. Um, not the case. Never the case. Um, you know, the defense I, I, in particular. This year. Yeah, that's that'll, you know, we're I, I know we were kind of spitting ideas earlier this week just about, you know, preparing for the portal opening and, you know, what is Alabama's quote unquote shopping list look like and um, defense, obviously a huge part of that, um, which makes me wonder, you know, like who who could like who we, we mentioned Terry on and, and Deontay Lawson. I obviously we haven't asked them about this, so so we're not 100 percent certain on maybe maybe where they're leaning or what they're thinking, but um, who's and maybe. They will what? never say you can, you can ask all we want. We've tried to kind of over the years to try to pick at it, but players will never say until after the season. It's just, yeah. Well, and especially in the case of Alabama, as long as they're alive for the playoff, like mm -hmm. not, not, not a topic that, you know, anybody's going to probably want to touch um, at least until, you know, once they get eliminated from the playoff or if they lose in the playoff, that's when those conversations I think will crack open in earnest. Um, but I was, I was curious, like, I, you know, Terry on Deontay are obviously two that we're going to keep an eye on, but like who, who's maybe like an under the radar guy. Like I'm thinking like CJ Dupre potentially, like, could he be a guy that's like, I spent one year here. I learned enough. I'm going to go try my hand at the senior bowl and see if I can turn, you know, what is maybe a undrafted free agent slash six, seventh round stock into, you know, a late day two, early day three type, Move. You know, like who who's another guy similar to that who could maybe, you know, who's someone that maybe we're not thinking of yet that could potentially take this route? I'd be surprised with the pre. I just don't think the production is there. Um, I would be more interested if he's close to graduating. Could he do a grad transfer and go somewhere else? I don't think his role has ever really evolved. So maybe people talked a ton about Tommy Reese and Notre Dame tight ends and CJ Dupree is going to be a big beneficiary of that. And just, I don't know statistically hasn't really happened he's been a decent little player but like he's not consistently producing and i think he would have to make a huge leap um if he did for some reason come out in the draft at the senior bowl and combine to really get noticed um and be a top eight top nine tight end in the draft um 
I mean, Tim Keenan is the guy that I keep coming back to because you just don't statistically, especially Alabama defensive linemen, you don't always see it on the stat sheet. I mean, maybe there's some sacks like you see it with that. You see it on film. And that's the thing. If if there's a astute scout out there that's saying, man, like this Tim Keenan guy is playing really well this year. um, And that word trickles back to him that there's NFL teams. I think this guy has the physical ability and uh, he's, he's going to be a really good player that they want. Does that, you know, somehow convince him to come out after, you know, he's, this is his third year. It's, it's really his first year playing and he's out good year. Like that would be the under the radar guy to me. Um, kind of like Christian Barmore. And I've, I've used this comparison you know, after the 2020 season where Barmore didn't really play a ton his first two years, kind of situational pass rusher. And then really flashed towards the end of his third year, you know, especially in the national championship game against Ohio State, and came out in the draft as a redshirt sophomore and got drafted by the Patriots in the second or third round, um, and it's worked out pretty well. He's been a pretty good player for him. So um, that's that's the under the radar guy. Um, I don't know if there's any other juniors beyond that. To be honest, um, I think some of the bigger discussions for me in terms of like. I don't know where this guy, what this guy will do, or really among the seniors who have the ability to come back for a fifth year. Uh, that's the bigger deal for me. Uh, Seth McLaughlin at center, Roydell Williams at running back, um, uh, Trey Amos at corner. What does he do? There's uh, probably five guys total that you don't really. Tim Smith, I think, you know, certainly has a pretty good chance of getting drafted if he comes out this year. Could he get better? If he comes back for a fifth year, maybe. Um, who am I missing? I think Jermaine Burton's gone as a senior. Malachi Moore, Chris Braswell. Um, and senior day is next week, so we're going to have a whole list of the seniors pretty soon here. But I think the bigger discussion to me is is among the seniors who have a chance to come back for a fifth year. And I mean, in terms of like the senior bowl letting these underclassmen in, this Alabama defense, how many senior bowl guys are they going to have? Dallas Turner, Chris Braswell, Cooley McKinstry, Malachi Moore, maybe Jalen Key, Justin Boigby, maybe Terry Arnold, maybe Deontay Lawson, maybe Tresman Marshall, maybe Trey Amos. Ten guys. <laughs> it's wild. A lot of defensive production. Tim Smith, that's 11? Yeah. Like, they could have 11 senior bowlers just on defense. That's yeah. insane. And that's before, you know, Jace McClellan, potentially Roy Dell, Jermaine Burton, J.C. Latham, um, potentially Seth McLaughlin. We'll see. Um, yeah, could be a very, very Alabama heavy um, senior bowl, which mm-hmm. could be fun for us. But also, you know, if you're Saban in the staff, like that's a lot of talent and production to replace. Yeah, you're sitting there thinking we got Caleb Downs back. <laughs> we got Jaheim Otis back. Um, <laughs> there's not a ton of other guys that have played that. Jihad Campbell, I guess that would be back uh, that you can really rely on right now. I think, you know, I think there's a decent chance Tim Keenan's back. Maybe they'll get Lawson back. Um, But right now it's like Caleb Downs is that centerpiece of your defense next year. And you're just trying to build around that. Yeah, no, it'll be interesting to see, you know, they, the, the, the early signing period was this week, but obviously football's early signing period will be next month. Um, We'll see how they kind of wrap up that class. We'll see how they portal. Um, It is very much, 
we're right, we're right on the precipice of roster season. So, you know, once we get done with this regular season and figure out what the postseason look like, um, be kind of interesting to see what Alabama looks like um, from an immediate standpoint. Um, that was uh, that was kind of the one newsy item we can dig into Alabama, Kentucky. Now, um, I said at the beginning of the year that I thought this had the potential to be a trap game. I said it earlier in the show, just with big game against Tennessee bye week, big game against LSU. Now you got to go on the road to play Kentucky team that on paper earlier this year looked like they would be a very good team. They are merely just a good team at six and three, three and three in conference play. They have beaten only one team that currently has a winning record, which is Florida. And who knows what the heck's going on with them this season. Their three losses, Georgia, Missouri, Tennessee, they're a combined 23 and four. Their six wins, um, mentioned Florida, but also, you know, they beat Mississippi State. Um, the, the six teams that they've beaten are a combined like 19 and 36. I don't know that this has the trap game vibes of what I thought it could have earlier in the season. Statistically speaking, Kentucky has struggled virtually everywhere. They do have a pretty good run defense. They also have a very, very talented running back in Ray Davis. Leads the SEC, I believe, in total offensive touchdowns. Second in the SEC in rushing yardage, just over 900 yards. Um, so we'll see, you know, that's, that's kind of another strength on strength type matchup because Alabama has stopped the run fairly well this year. Um, so maybe not the trap game that I thought it had the potential to be. I still think it'll be an interesting matchup. Um, but what are your thoughts going into Saturday's game in Lexington? Yeah, I go back to the week before the Arkansas game when, you know, Alabama had been reeling for a while. Then I have the Ole Miss win, had Mississippi State win. I think it was in that order. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. And then A&M, Arkansas. Right. A&M. And then, you know, at that point, we kind of heard Nick Saban talking about complacency and needing to maintain it um, because they did, were not practicing all that well the first couple of days of that Arkansas week. And then he had well, the shit practiced earlier this week. I'm, yeah, that's what I'm going to get to. And then the Wednesday night of that Arkansas week was when Saban came out. And you could tell, like, they weren't practicing well. He wasn't very happy. Um, and of course the irony of that game was they even though it was an 11 a.m kick and you had to like you know your feet hit the ground and all that like they played really well out of the gate against arkansas and then they just didn't maintain it in the second half and you know they had to kind of pull it together at the end to win um and i think this has some similar vibes where all right now you have you just had a big win over tennessee the big one over over lsu um the relaxation relaxation syndrome that Nick Saban talks about might come into play this week. And then Wednesday night press conference, he starts talking about they're a little bit sluggish early in, you know, early in the week and they had practiced better Wednesday. So um, some of the same things at play an 11 a.m. kickoff, this one's on the road um, physical team, you know, Saban always would talk about Arkansas being physical, the Sam Pittman mentality. I think he views Mark Stoops in the same light in terms of what he wants from his players. Um, and again, maybe it's kind of like the Arkansas game and they come out really strong and then they have to maintain it. I think there's also a chance that they don't come out very strong. And, um, you know, Saban even mentioned it this week that you can talk about wanting to be physical, but you actually have to do it in practice and then do it in the game. Um, and so you could have a motivated Kentucky team that has this kind of last chance to make a statement against Alabama, which is, you know, almost never there. Um, and they come out and they run the ball because um, you know that's that's what they do well. I mean, Kentucky is 
Uh, six, seven, 11th in the country and yards per rush, 5.29. Um, it's pretty good. Yeah. It's funny too. Cause their yards per game is only 141, which is not very good. It's 85th in the country. Um, so their yards per rush is very good. They just don't run the ball, I guess, enough to have yards per game. Um, so yeah, I, that's, it's, it's all about Ray Davis and stopping the run. And you had asked, you know, Nick Saban about that Wednesday night and basically said, yeah, we've, done it pretty well this year but like we're gonna see what it looks like against kentucky so um yeah there's some trap game elements still at play i, I still think the weather and just kind of a chilly morning start you know there's something that in a, in a cold uh small stadium you know there's just different vibe you know you're not going to death valley on a saturday night it's just different um so players will have to get up for that um but you know ultimately i think even if there is a slow start this team has had some really good halftime adjustments this year and i think this team's also has enough veteran guys that if they are struggling in the first half they go into the locker room at halftime those guys are going to be talking and saying like we screw this up our season's over like there's that kind of urgency in that mentality that they have right now that i, I think they'll be able to pull it together and and Ultimately, they're the better team than Kentucky, and I don't think Devin Leary is a good enough quarterback to really challenge them. You know, he's completing 57% of his passes, 7.4 yards. Like, um, just hasn't really been what they needed him to be. So I think they can dominate him, I think, as long as they can stop the run. And, you know, it's pretty rare that we see a team just start running through Alabama like bleat for a tin horn, as Nick Saban would once say. Um, I think this all kind of, I mean, you mentioned Ray Davis. Um, I mentioned Ray Davis. That's kind of, that's kind of Kentucky's offense, right? Like of his 900 some rushing yards, 562 have come after contact. He has broken 41 tackles, um, this season, which is, um, you know, that's up there top 25 nationally. So the guy does not go down on first contact. Um, you know, but again, Alabama's defense has, you know, this I, it's a strength on strength, but I feel like every time we talk about strength on strength, Alabama is the strength that tends to prevail. Um, you know, whether it's pass rush, whether it's the defensive secondary, whether it's, you know, in this case, the run defense, um, you bottle him up. I know Saban talked about Kentucky's ability to hit play action passes. Um, a lot of that, I think, become, you know, is, is from the success of, of Ray Davis running the ball. So if you, you stop them running the ball, you're going to force them into some third and longs. You're going to force Devin Leary to have to drop back and beat you. Or another way to view it, you're going to have <laughs> Devin Leary is going to have to drop back and beat Alabama secondary. Good luck. Um, you know, this I, this is a game where they just they need to go into Lexington. They need to win by multiple possessions. They need to just, you know, this doesn't need to be a joyless murder ball type victory, but this needs to be like go and take care of business and, and just do it in a way where it's like, you know, one, make sure nobody gets hurt Two, you know, just just you're the better team. You're top 10 team in the country. Kentucky is not play like it. That's that. Yeah. That's to me. That's that's kind of that's that's the to do list on Saturday. And this has been a very healthy Alabama team, and they've been you know fortunate in that regard. Obviously, there's a great deal of luck involved with injuries, and um, you know they only had one guy out of the LSU game going into it, Demonte Smith, safety. You know, it doesn't seem like we're going to see Deontay Lawson or Jalen Key in this game. I'm sure we won't see them next week either. For Chattanooga, they come back for the Iron Bowl. Ultimately, I think you can still have a really good defense and win without them. But overall, there hasn't been like that killer injury uh, that this team has had, you know, which is certainly helpful. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, it helps to have a big margin of victory win on your schedule. I think this is a, certainly a good chance for them to do it. They don't typically do it at Auburn. Um, the last time that they won big in Auburn, man, uh, it's been it's been a while. Uh, let me look because that's that's a game where I think you could kind of struggle your way through it. I mean, they win big at home typically, but I mean, their last game at Auburn, you won by two and four overtimes. Two years before that, you lose. Two years before that, you lose. Two years before that, you win by 16 in 2015. That's probably a bigger win. Two years before that, you lose. Two years before that was a big win in 2011, 42 to 14. So it's been 12 years since you've really had a real convincing win at Auburn. Um, maybe this I is feel like that's one of those games where you just, and we'll get to it when we get to that week, but just like that's a get in and survive type of game. Like mm -hmm. that's like this game. It's like, you need to go in and you need to put on a show and win by multiple possessions. That game. It's like, it's a rivalry game, throw everything out the window, just find a way to get across the finish line and get a win. Um, you know, Auburn's just wanting to ruin this Alabama season, this run. They and would love that. That's, that's how it goes down there. Sometimes if everything else fails, let's just try to beat Alabama and screw it up for them and for them. And they've done a, pretty damn good job of doing that over the years yeah so we'll uh we'll get to that when obviously we we get there more and more in depth i'm excited to kind of dive into the the weird history of alabama auburn at jordan Hare. um but yeah i think i th this one i feel like it's pretty straightforward i feel I, you know at the beginning of the year i was pretty convinced that like this kentucky team like I, they got a good offensive line like they've only allowed 13 sacks this year um second fewest in the sec behind georgia um you know, so we'll see if Alabama's pass rush can get home, um, you know, at least consistently. That said, like th I, this Kentucky team kind of like earlier in the season, like I kind of thought like they're built a little bit like Georgia, just Georgia builds it with four and five star guys and Kentucky doesn't. And so like, you know, in that sense, like, you know, again, assuming Alabama takes care of business, this could be a good like, you know, OK, this is kind of what we're going to see when and if we play Georgia, um, except the players are going to be better. So, like, I wonder in that sense, like, this could be a pretty good um, playing experience for them or something that they can use moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. I think at this point anything helps. But like you said, staying healthy and just getting on to the next game is the key for them right now. 100%. That is uh, – that's all the football talk. Did want to finish today's show with a quick basketball note because that season has begun. Alabama – Open their season with a 105-73 win over Moorhead State. First glimpse at Grant Nelson, 24.7 rebounds. First glimpse at Aaron Estrada, 16 points, three boards, three assists. Mark Spears, or Mark Sears, excuse me, 13 points, five rebounds, five assists. Uh, Jaron Stevenson, 12 points. Any immediate takeaway from Alabama men's basketball starting the season 1-0, and or what do you think of the performance overall? Still pretty good. Um, they're, <laughs> I mean, it's a completely rebuilt team. And that's, you know, we knew that coming in where it's going to depend on how do Grant Nelson do? How does Grant Nelson and Aaron Estrada do in terms of replacing the scoring that they lost last year? Um, you know, can Mark Steers be a bigger scorer? You know, what does their front court look like defensively, especially um, without Charles Bediaco, without Noah Clowney? So we, I think we started to get some answers there. And I think, you know, even Nate was kind of saying, like, the backcourt's probably going to be the strength of this team. Um, if you want to include Grant Nelson in the backcourt, which he's basically a 6'11 guard. Um, so, I mean, the scoring was 
more than they needed, uh, certainly more than enough um, from those three guys, Estrada, Nelson, and Sears. And, uh, you know, as Nate typically does, they, they schedule, you know, they don't have like the big non-conference game right away. Like Auburn just played um, Baylor the other night. But, you know, they typically have some pretty good teams that might be <clears throat> mid-major one or two in their conference. Moorhead State's been right there. Um, I think they won their conference last year. Um, so you're playing some decent competition, and they they look really good against some decent competition, um, offensively especially. I think defensively is still a step down from where they've been you know, last year or two years before that. Um, and, you know, the front court's going to play a big role in that because Nick Pringle's not really known as a defensive player like Bediaco was. So, you know, they'll need him to do more protecting the rim. Uh, Muhammad Wagi, the guy they got from West Virginia, um, we'll start to play more, I think, as he gets healthier. And then Jaron Stevenson, too, the freshman, you know, 6'11". Um, he certainly showed something from a scoring standpoint in the second half, had a couple big threes, uh, but they need him to play better defense, too. So the front court defensively is still the big question mark, um, but I think this is a veteran team. This is a team that can score. Um, this is a team that was a little sloppy in their um, exhibition game against Wake Forest, so some of the turnovers look much better in that regard. Um, so, you know, they play Indiana state Friday night, they play, um, South Alabama and Mercer next week. These are all kind of preseason games, if you will. Um, and then you start to get into the meat of, of the non-conference schedule and, you know, we'll get into the, you know, playing Purdue and Toronto, playing Arizona and Phoenix, um, playing Creighton on the road. Like those are going to be some, some big indicators. And this is the team that won back-to-back games against top or number one teams in the country last year at Houston and then um, against North Carolina. So, um, you know, if they do that again, I think they're going to be a lot higher than 24th in the polls, you know, once we get to January. In my uh, not super basketball expertise, um, I agree on all fronts. I think this Alabama team is going to score a lot of points this year. And if they can fine tune a couple things on the defensive side, they might have something pretty, pretty good this season. That's uh, that's all I've got after one game in um so but we'll see um we're going to be traveling obviously on friday so um hopefully we'll either be settled or we'll tune in to listen to the indiana state game and then um obviously we'll be back next week tuesday for the game against south alabama not expecting to learn a ton um i guess from some of these early games like you mentioned but um you know it's fun to kind of see some of these guys in action especially just with all the roster turnover and um you know i don't know that it's uh basketball season quite yet in Tuscaloosa. Um, but you know, why not make November busier than it already is? Yeah. And it's not a particularly strong non-conference home schedule this year. You know, they, they got a short straw in the ACC challenge. I mean, I thought they could get Duke or, um, North Carolina maybe to come to Coleman Coliseum and said they got Clemson, which Clemson wasn't a bad team last year. They were top 25 for a decent amount, but just doesn't have the same pizzazz as a Duke, you know, coming to Tuscaloosa would have. So they, you know, they didn't get the best draw there. Um, so that hurts them. But, you know, come SEC play, you got Tennessee, you got Arkansas. Um, I think you got Kentucky coming to Tuscaloosa this year. I can double check that. So there'll be some good games, but you just have to wait a few months. It will, uh, it'll be interesting to see. Um, still got a lot of football left, but uh, with basketball now, um, you know, the season has begun. We're going to start including just a few small basketball updates here on the midweek pod. Maybe probably not so much the reaction pods. We'll keep that strictly to football, at least for now. Um, but uh, with basketball season now here, we're going to have to 
figure out a weird pod transition to start including more hoops coverage. Um, you know, probably more so in January once we kind of get through the bulk of the football season, but um, it's here. And if you're interested, so are we, so um, we'll see what happens. That's uh, that's all we've got today. Mike, I appreciate you joining me as always. Uh, we will be back probably Monday recap, Alabama, Kentucky. Uh, we try to record that mostly on Sundays, but with the travel schedule, uh, we're driving up Friday, driving back Sunday, uh, likely won't be able to record on Sunday. Maybe we will. I don't know. We'll kind of play that by ear. And if we do, we'll let you know, but be sure to check your feeds absolutely on Monday morning for the reaction podcast. In the meantime, be sure to rate and review the show wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, even our Bama 247 YouTube page. Subscribe to Bama 247 and 247 Sports. Believe we're running a special this week where you can get 50% off uh, a yearly VIP subscription. We're going to have more deals coming in the future with Black Friday just a couple weeks out. I know if you go click the link in the show notes right now to subscribe, uh, $10 or $1 a month to start and then just $10 a month thereafter for the best coverage of your favorite team. Take advantage of that, especially if you're an Alabama fan. Thank you again, Mike. Thank you so much again for listening, you guys. And we will talk again soon.